podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They say the best things coming for you, and we're completing it. We're doing it. And it's the final episode in the trilogy that has been the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Glow reviews. Are you excited, my panel? Let me hear some noise. Yes, here we go. That's the only show that says don't just watch the adverts. Win them. Here we go. We can't wait for it. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, Don't forget, go and check out our back catalogue last week's episode uh, on the NXT Mount Rushmore. Oh, it almost had me throwing things. You know, throwing throwing phones, throwing sharks, just throwing anything I can get my hands on. You know, I was I was ready to throw them. Uh, but go check that out. Go check out Central, uh, where apparently I'm now the poster boy uh, for the anti-progress movement. I don't know how it happened, but it did. Um, so go, go and check that out. Uh, don't forget to check out Saturday Draft Live, an amazing show, um, especially now I'm first in the draft. Uh, and all of the other great content here we have at USSR. Um, let them see we're crazy. Uh, and this woman is a little bit crazy. She's here. She is ready to go. Uh, Stacey Smith, how are you? Hi, David. I'm fine. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I thought of you uh, as the wine lover. I was cooking a roast tonight. Uh, I made a leg of lamb. I was using red wine. And I was like, oh, Stacey would love this. You know? Classy. A leg of lamb. I love it. I know. I know. Uh, and what do they know? Well, this guy knows a lot about wrestling. He's an encyclopedic knowledge. You know, great in quizzes, great on, on panels. He's just he's just a stand-up guy. It's Mr. Scott McLeod. How are you doing? You're doing. <laughs> this will be nice to me for a change. I don't trust it. It's the Glow Show. You know, we're, the, we're a glow family here, you know? Uh, that's, that's, I'm happy. It's a safe space. You know, Scott, it's a safe space. How, what have you done this Sunday? Uh, not much. I've got Ellie the dog lying beside me here. She's all tuckered out. And oh. probably, let me hear your dulcet tones to help put her to sleep. <laughs> Well, this is what we need. Dogs on the show. You know, wholesome animal content. Put your arms around me, baby. Don't ever let go. That's how I feel about this man. He is a great guy. A wonderful person. It is Mr. Kwakuraji. How are you? What up, what up, what up, what up? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to talk glow. Um, so let's do it. I've got a wee update from season two review show. What Unfortunately, the cable package has lost KBD TV. <sighs> I know. It sucks. So sad. So sad. Um, but nothing's going to stop us now. We're going to yeah. get on with the show. We're going to do it. And I want to just review what our favourite memories of Glow have been before we got into season three. And Scott, I'll start with you. Like, what is the one lasting memory that you had of the previous two seasons of Glow uh, coming into this one? Do you have a particular favourite moment from the first two seasons of the run? The guy carrying from what you were referencing at the start there, David. You know, the end in a season two with Starship playing in the background. You know, you finish on such a high, you know, they're all down and like the show got cancelled. Then they're going to Vegas and they got a regular show. So now there's all that hope, all these people all paired together. And, you know, Ruth's unsure about her future. She's got a man. But then Sam's there. How does he feel about her? You know, all that uncertainty. And I'm not sure I was fully satisfied with certain things of, of season three, especially given when I found out I was going to get more of it afterwards. I know, I know. That's that's. We'll get into that later on. It's always the the hard thing about this. You know what I mean? It's always the hard thing about a run is when a show is cut short, and it does lead to unsatisfaction. But we'll go into that a bit deeper later on. Stacey, what about you? Did you have any any lasting favourite memories? Well, one of the main things that I learned 
from Glow from the main thing I learned from between the first two seasons was um, that kidnapping is bad to do. <laughs> so yeah, that that, that was, was my thing. No, it was, that it was bad to do. Um, <laughs> I just love Justine in the, yeah. the first two seasons. Season yeah. three as well, but um, I loved her in the first two. Justine, a favourite character, and Don't Kidnap is a banger that ESSR is still to cover. Um, Stephen Wilson, you need to get your act in gear, my friend. Right, you need to do something about this. Only a matter of time. <laughs> We've waited long enough. No, uh, Quack- David. <laughs> Quack, you're Stacey Stone, your favourite moment, but do you have yeah. another one in your well, arsenal? And don't kidnap twice over because you shouldn't kidnap as bad. <laughs> What else is bad? Uh, well, no, not nothing else is bad. Just don't kidnap. Also, another lasting is the story of Welfare Queen and her rise to the top and stuff. So that's another thing that would stick with me. She was actually my favourite character as I picked in the last season. So to see her rise to the top and get that crown, boom. Yeah, night after night as well. You know, <laughs> Welfare Queen just can't stop winning. We will talk about to me because she has a place near and dear to my heart as well. Um, that woman, what a woman, what a woman. But anyway, we're going to get into Glow Season 3. Um, I have to talk about, because we're going to look at it somewhat holistically, because it's hard to break down every <laughs> 10 episodes like in individual chunks. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> that opening scene with the, the, the challenger exploding. <laughs> Is there a better way to kick off a season? <laughs> I just think it's like how well it's done where they don't show, first they have uh, Debbie and Ruth there and then the footage of it on the other side of the screen and then it's just them and she's going all about her day, you know, Debbie's got the whole uh, Liberty Bell spell and then just the slow, slow change in her face and she's just like, trying to tell Ruth like, just stop talking, stop talking. It's so incredible. It's just absolute comedy done right. And I think, Stacey, that was one of the things that set us up with this season is that a lot of the first two seasons were kind of dominated by Ruth and Debbie being at odds with each other. Um, But this was, in a very funny way, this was the first indication of their sort of togetherness for the season, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, um, as soon as you saw that, you're just like... Oh no, this is, it's going to be a good season. It's definitely going to be a good season, um, mm. as, as bad as that sounds. Um, but I was hoping that, that it would start showing their friendship back because you saw kind of, you know, that way you can see the kind of the foundations from it near the end of season two. Um, I'm glad mm. that they finally carried on with it and went through with the friendship in season three. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. And Kwaku, I think it, it it rides the line, that opening scene, because sometimes, you know, real life tragedy, it can be seen as maybe distasteful to sort of poke fun at it. But, you know, they were still being really serious about it for the rest of the episode and showing how it sort of affected the characters. So do you think they rode that line pretty well? They did, they did. And it was interesting to kind of see their thoughts on it after it. I mean, it was great TV in my instance. I found it hilarious. Of course, when it's all exploding, it has to be when Zoya's doing a long monologue and how the American engineering is rubbish. And it's literally right in front of you, is that? <laughs> also, on that, like, I do like the whole aspect of when a tragedy happens, you've got a big show coming up. You've got to have the mentality sometimes the show must go on. Mm. 
as difficult and stuff like that, but they, I liked how they were debating on whether do we stop the show or the show must go on kind of thing. Yeah, totally. That played out through the first episode. Scott, did you have something to add to that there? I remembered also they come back to it later on because obviously it's one of the big shows they've got planned later on. They don't know whether or not to cancel it. Barrett's just planned a big party afterwards and then realised that the party is spacing because of the Challenger. And then he's having to run around, get rid of a cake that's got a big model of a spaceship on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's uh, Britannica. I've forgotten her real name. That I, I do that a lot with a show. Rhonda. I, I call them by their like wrestling personas. Like I can't remember <laughs> the real name. Uh, but Rhonda's like, can we not make it in the shape of like a penis or something? <laughs> oh, I mean, by the final f- uh, episodes, that became quite appropriate. Yeah, totally, totally. And I wanted to go through individual character journeys with you here. You know, try and take the story threads and we'll see where we can go, talk about the finale at the end, but we want to go on a sort of we're gonna go on a journey here, people. You know? Why take you take you somewhere somewhere fun and there's no better place to start, I think, than Sheila the She Wolf. Mm-hmm. Than Sheila the She Wolf, because she went through a transformation this season. Kwaku, start with you this time. What were your thoughts on Sheila's story arc throughout season three? She's always been a reserved character and just kind of just kept herself to herself and I think this was the season where we kind of see her still reserved but blossoming out and Mm. what a better way than getting rid of that persona and getting rid of that quietness than literally burning it to smithereens in a campfire I mean yeah go out go out in style and all that stuff well, I like the build-up to it as well, Stacey, because we got our th- first hints at it, didn't we, with um, her and Tamei go to the, the acting class, and Tamei's like, fuck this guy, you know, I don't know, I don't care what he thinks about my acting, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And the acting guy tells her, this is going to hold you back. And I think part of us is meant to think, oh, this guy's a douche, you know, what does he know? Uh, but you see Sheila thinking about it, like, did you, were you on the side at that point of, yeah, honey, it's time to get rid of the the bad wig or were you like no Sheila stay true to yourself no I was I was very much like Sheila you do you mm. um, you know carry on with that um, but I think the major turning point for Sheila out of this like in this whole season was when they went to the drag show mm. um, and when she was speaking to is it Bob um, yes yes it's uh, Bobby Barnes yeah Bobby Bobby Barnes um, like when she was speaking to him, I think like um, like a whole possibility of like all different possibilities kind of were opened up to her. It's like she doesn't have to just be one yeah. character, if you know yeah. what I mean. Like, um, she doesn't need to show her true self, um, but she can play like numerous characters. Um, yeah. Just just depending on how she feels on the day. Yeah, and Scott, she had that moment that Quacko's referred to, that moment at the campfire where she's like, no, she's standing next to Ruth and she takes off the wig and she throws it in and she takes off like, the fur and she's like, no, it's going away, it's done, it's finished. And she says it was holding me back. What did you feel about that moment and how do you feel about the characters' reactions to it? Were you happy that they were all happy for her? Because we just want, we want to see Sheila happy here, surely. We're all on Sheila's side, you know? Come here, here, Scott, what are you thinking? their reaction to seeing Sheila outside of the, the costume because a lot of them other than like Ruth and that one scene I think in season one would they realise that a lot of the, like the wig and everything hadn't really seen her outside that way as well as many of the, uh, the people watching it unless you'd seen the actress in interviews you'd see what she yeah. actually looks like 
And so, obviously, everybody else is reacting the same way the characters are, and you've got uh, Bobby there saying, like, oh, God, I really hope she doesn't tear that dress up. She's done as part of that uh, show where they're all switching characters, which I think was a, the highlight of the series for me. Everybody's switching that around, and I'm sure we'll get to that later on. But, yeah, then she finally goes in the fire, and then she can move on because she finally got her own story this season where she was kind of there for the people she was there for Ruth to talk to about her problems and then kind of thing where she's now overtaking Ruth where Ruth realises that oh god she'll actually make me a better actress than yeah. me and yeah, totally. Ruth that, like it was maybe the acting coach was right maybe I did all about because then she's got that scene where and she's been off she's immediately going off book and then the bit of the, the show where Ruth's not there and then she just comes out and basically tells her own story and basically yeah. we're all like sucked into it yeah, totally. And Stacey, you had something to add there? Yeah, I'm. this is carry on with what's already been said. Like, I'm glad that Sheila's happy now. I mean, after her failed date with the goat in the mm. last episode from season two... She not me, by the way. Happy now. I was going to say, when did this happen? <laughs> when did you not tell by not telling us this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree. We just want we want to see Sheila happy, and Scott's referred to it there. But by the way, she did a great Liza Minnelli. I mean, she did a fantastic Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Quack, oh, Stacey said. Martini glass the entire time during the match. Why has someone not done that? <laughs> like that needs to be like an actual real life gimmick, surely, surely. <laughs> but we'll we'll come back to Sheila. I'm sure later on someone else who had a bit of a tough season a bit of a tough season was cherry mm-hmm. cherry bang mm-hmm. right she had she had a bit of a tough one and uh, quacky host of a late night talk show here you know mm-hmm. talking love sex cool and host. relationships yeah cool host, yeah. yeah talking I love sex who and that relationships producer is. i still need to find out who they are no anyway. one knows no one will ever know but mm-hmm. she has cherry has a problem here Mm-hmm. She wants a baby, but she sees what it's done to maybe Debbie's body, other people's bodies, other people's career, mm-hmm. hopes and dreams as well. And she goes to Keith and she's like, I don't, I'm not sure I want this. I don't really want this anymore. What did you think at that moment as an expert in loving relationships? Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's not go that far. <laughs> but in an instance, I mean, when your relationship is based on the science and the logistics and to make mm. the baby and stuff, you got to wonder, like, is that really the most ideal situation? And also, if the situation arises like this, where you may have a difference of opinion and it's so, because, I mean, taking a temperature to see where you're ovulating, I mean, that's a bit, mm. I mean, so, so if that's what you want to do, fair play, if that's what you want to do, however, it was quite clear that that wasn't what Cherry Bang wanted to do. She may just want to pardon a bun bang. But anyway, um, <laughs> nice. But the thing is, though, clearly, 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 took a lot of strength in doing what she did. Obviously, she spiraled out of control and also ran up mm. huge debts at the casino as well, which did obviously help her situation. However, mm. I did like the scene at the end where. Her husband comes back, dresses Santa and all that. Sorry if I've done the spoiler. It is what it is. Stacey, I have to ask you, what's your thoughts on Keith? Because, you know, sure he walks out, but that man's a sweetheart. You know, surely, sure we all love, we all love Keith Bang. We're all big fans. Keith, Keith is one of the stars of the, of the show, honestly. Um, and 
kind of, I did feel sorry for him in this season, but I'm not siding with him over Cherry, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a different time in like back then. Like, as far as I know, it was very much, you know, that way you have, if when you have a kid, the mum is the one that stays at home to look after the kid. Um, so, yeah, so you can kind of see Cherry's point with that but then but then when Keith came back at Christmas with his in his Santa suit and he gave Cherry his Christmas present of saying I met a woman to talk about adoption I was like Keith you're just perfect for her just yeah yeah it's good Scott are you going to jump on the the Keith bang love train which sounds like a really sexual wrestling gimmick <laughs> that's why Keith Lee's been gone so long he's got to come back as Keith bang Yes! <laughs> Basking his glory. But one of my regrets on the season two review show, I think, is not talking about Keith enough because, like, a lot of big thing about the, the show is everybody's relationships. Like, everybody has their own issues when it comes to their uh, love life in the show. Whereas, I think the strongest relationship romantically, I think, is up until this point was Keith and Cherry. <laughs> and obviously, they made references to their past attempts to have kids in previous seasons, and so also that's weighing on their minds as well. Yeah. One of those really difficult situations where you're, it's hard to know who to side with because you can see where they're both coming from, but also Keith leaving for as long as he did. Why wasn't that good day? Because we then saw Jericho spiral, spend so much time in the casino, and that almost got into a lot of trouble. But one of the yeah. reasons really hit me in that argument scene with the, when he first leaves is like when she says, I don't want to be stuck at home. And the idea of Keith, like you can see where Keith's coming, like saying stuck rather than like you're staying home with a kid because you feel you have to, not because you want to. And that's yeah. the thing that he wants to be with her and want to start a family with her. And then yeah. when when time stood still and the Christmas special when he came in dressed as Santa and oh like it, it hits me it hits you where you live. Although you, <laughs> you know the way shows work is that people come in at random nights and you gotta wonder one of the people who just popped in for that show thinking is it usual for one of the cast members to kiss Santa that. <laughs> why is the voodoo witch kissing Santa? Why is happening? Why is this happening? <laughs> one, uh, one criticism I did have of this season, and it does come in the uh, Cherry storyline, was the gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. Stacey, it, it just seemed to come up and then sort of disappear out of nowhere. Like, did you feel a sort of similar way? Um. Yeah, it was it was a weird one. Like it just seemed to just start, and then they kind of went nowhere with it. Yeah. Um, and and then they brought in the whole mud wrestling part of it, um, which yeah, it, it was just it just felt like a bit of a weird part to throw in and then not revisit. Yeah, are we meant to believe she got five thousand dollars for the mud wrestling fight? Like, because yeah. there was never the debt was never mentioned again. No. So, do we assume that she got five grand for that? <laughs> well, I, I've never been to Vegas, but some real messed up stuff happens down there. So you never know. <laughs> you never, never know. The eighties, yeah, they they threw money about in the eighties. That is that. You is saw the guys. Sure. I mean, you saw the guys that were in the crowd there. They were in their fly suits, looking absolutely dapper, and they did mm. not care if mud was getting onto their suits. You can tell the cheap bastards that had like an apron on. However, the rich people that had their suits on and were getting mud all over it, they got a pretty packet. I reckon she cleared her debts. Fair enough, my man. Fair enough. Well, we need to. We're going to let love lift us up where we belong. Oh, Scott, before we let love lift us up, bring us back down. 
the gambling, I do agree it's one of the weaker points of the story because I think it was a case of like they're in Vegas, they're in casino all the time. So one of them needs to have an issue with gambling. <laughs> my, my cherry was the one to do it because also she's trying not to think about everything I'm with Keith. And so she dealt into gambling as a distraction. I do like the scene at the start where they all get given free chips, they start playing, they have Jenny blow on it, it comes up bad and like, leave the table, you're a bitch of bad. <laughs> <laughs> the about the, the mud residency, I can see why some people might not like it, but I think it was worth it just for Carmen being there to wrestle with her and giving them the names, not giving them their real names, but having them go by like, names of characters from the Thundercats. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was a really good reference. There was a really good 80s reference. Another good 80s reference is Love Lifts Us Up Where We Belong, where he goes flying, you know, all that jazz, you know. And we're going to talk about the relationship this season, a very complicated relationship uh, between Artie and Yolanda. Scott, I'm going to come to you first on this one. What did you think about the progress of this relationship? Because it seemed to be very up and down mostly down throughout the full season. <laughs> like, like, what were your thoughts on, on this duo? Uh, there was, it was strange because I think this is one of the more interesting things, like I said, coming into the scene. You see the scene on the bus, you got them two sitting together, because at first, uh, you know, when she comes in in season two, she's not welcomed as much because they think she's replacing Cherub and she fits in the group. They form that relationship and then I think the idea of, I think, Artie not wanting to put labels on things where she knows she loves her, but mm. not prepared to confirm that she's gay because then she sees the campfire scene, how other people react to them but not yeah. wanting to wrestle with them and and then also the scene with the club later on. So I think you get you get at the end of the season some hope that, you know, the relationship is gonna persevere where she's finally committed to who she is. But I really love that's one of the things I would love with a four season, just to get a conclusion of their story and see that blossom evermore. Yeah, totally. I think it's one of those things where Stacey, you were saying it's it, the show does well with these relationships and making you sort of side with both people because you totally understand where Artie's coming from. This is all very new to her, but Yolanda's been around the block and, and she ain't taking no shit when it comes to, you know, homophobia, whether it be passive or whether it be overt. So the clash there between them, I think it's safe to say, was balanced or were you the opposite of me? Did you side with one over the other in this sort of relationship? Well, no, um, I kind of sided with, right, I watched this season twice, right? The first yeah. time I sided with Yolanda the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. And then going, then watching it for like in preparation for this show, you know, obviously I've already seen it all, um, but then watching it again, um, you're just like, oh no, actually I can see. Mm -hmm side as well um i think it was very much yolanda knew what to expect um, yeah you know that way like she'd she'd been living it um but arthy um she hadn't accepted it herself so you know that way like no one knew about her um so she hadn't she hadn't um experienced any of that discrimination she mm. Um, she'd uh, experienced other types of discrimination, but not homophobia. Um, and I think when the like when the fundraiser got attacked, um, I think that's when she properly realised, like, no, I can't hide who I am anymore. I need to, I need to just ex like express myself. I just need to be me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it's we talked about. I think it was it was Stacy or Dawn. It was one of the biddies. Uh, who, we'll, 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 maybe we're not touching the biddies so heavily, but we'll go back to the biddies because the biddies are absolutely hilarious. But yeah. we had that discussion with them in the desert, and they were sort of trying to. I, I'm maybe going to talk around it as well because I think in terms of like homophobia, there is maybe this inertness, you know, that you need to educate yourself and you need to learn. And maybe she wasn't educated at that point when she was saying, "Oh, but do you really want to wrestle with me when the crotches will be so close and stuff like that?" And yeah. I think it was really powerful to have her be the secret Santa and to present Art with that gift at the end because a lesser show would have had an overt conversation with her saying. Oh, I've learned what I did was wrong. I've spoken to Yolanda or something, etc., etc. But just that moment with her giving over that gift after Artie's speech and then saying, Oh, I've got your Playboy mat again, <laughs> throwing it at her as well. Like that that's so powerful. But Kwaku, I, I need to ask, obviously, they handled that stuff with the biddy, the sort of more <laughs> hidden side of, of homophobia. And then we had the overt side of it with the fire at the fundraiser at the end. Do you think they handled that topic well and that debate well throughout the season? Or yeah, do you think it could have been done better? Because what it really brought out is the different levels of bias, prejudice. And you know what I mean? Like, because, yeah. like, see, a, a lot of times with discrimination, people maybe just think that. Well, so let's say if we use a racial slur, for example, or mm. let's, let's say if we use a homophobic slur, and then like that's it. But yeah. however, it does come in different levels, whether it's overt, like using the slurs, to absolutely disgusting and h- horrific to the level of actually wanting to cause harm by setting yeah. a club on fire, to the little subtle language that people would use that they can kind of always put their hands up and say, oh no, I didn't say a slur. However, it's still excluding people from doing certain things. And it's just showing that different level of discrimination that could happen. I think it was really, it was really smart the way they did it. And like I said, a lesser show would have like overcooked that, but they let the moments play out. Going back to the relationship with those two, like, and being bisexual and having relationships with men like i've been on both sides of it so i can sympathize with both characters like mm. when you're in the closet particularly when you're younger and you're having you know conversations and maybe you like someone who's out but you're so sort of scared to embrace that you know or do anything publicly or do it publicly like i understand that fear and that reservation but i've also been on the other side of it now the way yolanda is if you're talking to someone you know, who's closeted or discreet or doesn't want to do certain things, etc., etc. It can be extremely frustrating, you know. And there's a there's a definite balance there, you know, with it. On a side note, sorry to divert away. See episode two when it kicked off. I don't know if I'd put on Glow season three, episode two, or something from Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> they were definitely having a good time, Scott. Did you have something to add to that there? <laughs> on the telly and I thought like Jesus this is one of the moments like when you mentioned about the like, watching the live sex television and people walking mm. like this is one of the moments please no one walk in at this moment they're going to think the hell is he up to in here yeah I will say that for the show I think sometimes it can be guilty of over fetishising its actresses you know yeah. and I'll, I'll look at that one and I see that it was written by a guy 
directed by a guy. I mean, <laughs> and I'm just I'm sorry, like, doesn't I have to me. say it, the line, don't fuck me to the music. <laughs> 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 that was insane. That was so funny, but to be fair, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. <laughs> Debbie was a lot funnier this season. We're going to get to that a bit later on, though, because I want to stick on the topic, the exciting, fun uh, topic of discrimination. Uh, I think it's Yeah, it's glow. You know, keep it like. <laughs> but we did have. There was a many sort of story arc this season between Melrose and uh, Jenny. Uh, that sort of culminated again in Outward Bound when they have that that retreat because um, Scott referred to the, the Freaky Tuesday episode earlier where they were taking each other's gimmicks they were trying out new characters it was fun we had you know Tammy as a, as a biddy because uh, she couldn't walk basically mm-hmm. so she it was her idea they were all having a good time but Stacey we see that scene with Jenny and she's listening to Melrose do the character and she hears the accent. I think someone says to her, even at the time, like that's it. She's just doing the accent you do every night. And she says, yeah, but she's a white girl. And this really brought in this. It's been a theme since season one because they've had to portray stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But this seemed to cross the line, you know, for many of the people portraying characters at this point, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and And... You could see, like, you could really see why she was angry about it um, in the run-up to the Outward Bound episode. But then, yeah. when then when she explained like her story, like how she came to America and things like that, mm. you can you can really see why, um, like, yeah. why why she didn't like it. Um, but even from the beginning, she was not happy with her character and. Mm. And then that Outward Bound episode just underlined exactly why she wasn't happy with Yeah, it. totally. And we'd have, Quacky, we have that emotional scene around the campfire with Melrose is talking about Passover and then talking about the relatives she lost during the Holocaust. And, and Jenny's like, look, that doesn't really excuse anything. You know, as she says, I lost relatives in the killing fields and the Cambodian civil wars mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. And she, she, they both give their story and where they've come from to get to the place they are now. And I, I just want to know, what were your thoughts on the way that this story arc played out in the first um, part of the season? It was well done because you had the realisation eventually, like, oh no, I've I can see exactly because there's a lot of times when people of color like myself or other people would raise an issue with certain something sometimes it's like oh it's just a joke or it's just that it's just where like as if we should just take it and stuff and when you actually sit down and explain it sometimes it's still not until you get the realization it's like when I talk about um, if people um, black themselves up and play a character on that and a blackface, yeah, exactly. And and I'm just told, I'll just take it. And it's like, no, there's long historical reasons why that's offensive because a, um, in the past, um, people of my skin tone weren't really booked on shows or anything mm-hmm. like that. 
to be themselves and play themselves. It was usually white people that were blacking up, so it was giving white people the opportunity to play black people. And then when they're given that opportunity, they usually play as if they're stupid, like like they're always like stupid, yeah. over, over painting their smiles and their faces and stuff like that, which became racial slurs. And it was so prevalent and popular. I mean, to the to the seventies, minstrels were still being played on BBC and stuff like that. Yeah. So just just as an example there, and then often I get the usual thing about oh, but what about white chicks? As if I advocated for that. And if you look at the difference between like what I'm talking about, what white chicks was, yes, it was black men playing white women. However, the white women were being portrayed as maybe pe- they were undercover police and pr- pretended to be maybe sh- uh, shoppers and stuff like that, not pretending to be stupid or whatever. Totally. But I wouldn't advocate for it myself personally, but I'm not like the spokesman for the Waynes brothers or whatever. Have you need to explain white chicks, Kwaku. How dare you not exactly like, so, like, like <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I had the bank account of the Waynes brothers to explain white chicks, but I You've don't. Got, yeah. so. got, like, the power dynamics of it as well, you know. And, and Scott, I, I want to come to this. Ellen Wong throughout this season, the series has basically been, you know, Jenny. She's the she's the quippy one, you know. She makes her costumes, but I think she showed how great an actress she can be given the opportunity in that scene. Wouldn't you agree? Back again to that campfire. See, I think that episode in general is good as what the strongest of the season because you have that moment, the moment with uh, the buddies and like being uncomfortable wrestling Yolanda and that, and also mm-hmm. the moment with Sheila. See, all these great moments all condensed in this an episode. But yeah, with Jenny, like she's wanted to change the characters in season two. Like she was going to present the idea to change her character. Then you have the buddies here overhearing it and stealing it before her, and then you have this. And I think she was one of the ones that was really up for changing because she didn't want to play 43 but then realised like geez I need to adjust all these people's costumes because yeah. there's different people who aren't this isn't made for them uh, and all that but yeah I think obviously you see Melrose she's like she thinks that she's just joking main joke like when she jokes about uh, Jenny being bad luck on the gambling table which is what Jenny she ca- carries the curse of the red dragon and all that and she just thinks of stuff like that as main joke and then she does the, the character when they switch over and she's like yeah but the gimmick's racist and all that because when they were mm-hmm. giving out with the characters in season one, they were playing austerities because that's really what wrestling did for a yeah. long time. And I think you also see with Melrose when she gets a chance to showcase her girl she is. Because like you see, Melrose is always the one who does, acts like she doesn't take anything seriously. And then they see all deep down that her and Jenny, three beer and so off, but deep down, they, there's the thing that sadly ties them together that they've experienced a lot of really tragedy in their life, but they haven't taken the chance to really get to know each other as real people. And get to that level of it. It was it was really good. It was it was really great. Now, anyway, back to the wrestling. Uh, we've got to discuss a very serious wrestling related issue. Like this show, we're talking about it. Is that there was some sort of support group here? But I think it's one of the strengths of this show. Like how funny it can be as a comedy, but how it just tackles like real issues so well. And Quacky, we've seen with wrestlers over the years hiding injuries, working through injuries, you know, mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing with painkillers and dare I say hot tubs to try and <laughs> to try and heal whatever ailment uh, or whatever problem they have. And we've seen that with Timmy this season. What were your thoughts on Timmy's storyline with her back injury, you know, yeah. as we went throughout this? 
It definitely is. I mean, I do. You do know of like high-profile wrestlers that do come forward and admit that they do have a painkiller addiction because the thing about painkillers is that oh, you can say oh, it's paracetamol. You get that over the counter, thirty p mm. or whatever it is for a packet of mm. paracetamol these days. Uh, the thing about them is because the way they work, they're they don't necessarily target the actual pain you've got. What they do is they raise your pain threshold. So yeah. that is the element which gets addictive because obviously you're dropping on your back a lot. You are going to get sore back and whatever have you from constant doing bumping and bumping and bumping. Mm. So something that you could get easily into is raising your pain threshold and that's the element of the painkillers that gets addictive. Coupled with the fact that you're using alcohol to wash it down, not a good recipe there, right there. So. It, it, it is it, it, they, they tackle it well and the fact that it was a somebody who is an actual professional wrestler that was portrayed that as well mm. it kind of hits home and kind of it shows that element of truth and the side of wrestling that does happen you do get people that do get addicted to painkillers not all, everyone obviously but it does happen yeah and Scott we've we've sang the praises of Kaya Stevens is to me you know, and the Welfare Queen over the past two review shows we've done on this network. Um, that scene where she's just, Debbie walks in and she's on the floor, like crying with pain over her back. That might be the best acting she's done to date in this show. Mm-hmm. Like she tries to put all the pain hasn't been born that long and David like, don't lie to me, like legit, how long have you been like this? And she was like, there's only a few more shows and she's really just crying. It really hits she and Again, yeah, like the fact that she is a wrestler who will have suffered like injuries in the past, so she'll know mm. how to properly portray this. And that montage with her taking the pills and the alcohol, and you see all the time she's taking a bigger handful of pills. The glasses of wine are getting yeah. bigger as they go on, and you really also start to find out more about her as the seasons go on because we found out season two kind of she kind of put her career on hold a little bit to look after her son, and also mm. she so she's a bit older now. She's older than forty, and she doesn't like give this major opportunity. Otherwise, well, she's putting for herself. They're paying, and there are stories of wrestlers doing that, like Paul Orndorff put off like yeah. uh, tricep surgery to because he was on such a big run with Hulk Hogan. That was always the big money in the eighties. Then yeah. when he finally did get it, it left him with like his arm starting to lose muscle definition, which ultimately ended his career. Yeah. Well. So, like, she's put her, her, her time on hold, and she doesn't know what else she's going to do because she says to Jay, like, "What really are people looking for? For a, a, like, you know, why don't you do stand up?" She's like, "Yeah, because a lot of comics looking for a black woman of forties with zero experience." Mm. And then you have Carmen coming in. As the one who always makes the wrestling references, they're like, "Oh yeah, I get that." If you're a wrestling fan watching it, we're saying like, "Why don't you be a manager like Captain Lou Albano or Bobby the Brain Heenan, bringing that aspect of the business into it?" Yeah, Stacey. That is one of the main things that I am raging about: the fact that there's not going to be a season four, is the fact that we aren't going to see Tame being a manager. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who? Wait. Let's have a wee fun bit here. Because we've went through, you know, prejudice, you know, of all kinds, went through back injuries. Pick a modern day wrestler, okay, in any promotion that you would like to see Kaya Stevens as the welfare queen come in and manage, 
All right, I'm going to give you a couple of wee seconds for that. And I'm going to promote KDTV. Don't forget to add that to your Amazon Prime cable package. You can check out KDTV today, where they have shows such as The Conspiracy Theory, Quiz Showdown, Ross's Retro Reviews, and many. Book it, the Book It Tournament. Oh, wait, sorry. That's the Suplex Retweet YouTube channel. My bad, my bad. Anyway, that should have, that should have bought them enough time. Uh, Quacko, who's your pick? <laughs> you, you gave us time, but then you just made me laugh all the way through. So I wasn't thinking so... <laughs> You, you may as well just come straight to me and put me on the spot because that's what it feels like right now I'm not going to lie <laughs> right you have five seconds okay I am Carmela Carmela we want the welfare queen to me with Carmela from Quacker Stacey who are you going with well I'm between two I think she'd be quite good at either being the manager of Sasha Banks yeah, okay. Or I think she'd be quite good at being Bailey's manager. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? That, that would be absolute gold. <laughs> oh, I'd love that so much. That would be great. Scott, who was your pick? I remember like, she would have that, in season two, she had that big chair she would sit on when she was refusing to fight. So I rebel, just having that as part of the big ding dong hello set with the, the door everyone has to come to as well. <laughs> I think pair the welfare queen with the current version of Cameron Grimes, where he's got all this money, and uh, that, that would be just great. And he goes like, "I've got the welfare queen with me, and we're going. She's going to take me to the moon." I could, Stacey, I love you. Scott had the right answer. So, Stacey, what did Stacey? Do you have another one that can beat it? Could you imagine if she was Chris Jericho's manager? <laughs> Can you imagine the two eagles going at each other? Oh, oh he's fantastic. Constantly stealing the bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to see more of, as she was known, Awesome Kong back in wrestling yeah. in any capacity. An all-time legend, I think it's safe to say. Like, yeah. Scott, you, you've been a TNA guy. You've, we've talked about you know, the, the legendary status of Kong in that division. Um, but as a film fan, as a TV fan, selfishly, I'd love to see Kaya Stevens, the woman, get more roles, you know, get more acting under her belt because she deserves it. There's a, there, It's hard for an actor to be that naturally likeable, you know? Yeah, I think part of the surprise of her coming into this is because as Awesome going at her peak, she didn't talk a lot. She was just, yeah. she came in and killed everybody and like just through her facial expressions and like the stuff she did in the ring, everybody was scared of her. But she didn't get a cut promos. And so I think that's why people were so surprised she was as good as she was in this. And that's probably mm. been good for wrestling fans who watched her repeat that didn't get to see her cutting promos, getting to see her as Stacey said, getting her in season yeah. four cutting promos and like seeing who in the glow cast she would have been she would have been paired with. Or if she'd been paired with somebody new because they were talked of a new show coming yeah. that they talked to the tease at the end, which we didn't get. So bringing somebody else in for this, they may bring in another wrestler on the show, put someone who's a wrestler in real life on the show. Yeah, totally, totally. I think they would have ended up pairing her with uh, Vicky the Viking. You know, she needed she needed a mouthpiece. You know, she she was the she was the big heel if we needed someone to talk for her. We, you we know? talk about when she wants to be a Liberty Bell, but when everyone switching over, because like it was my gimmick first, then they give it to her, <laughs> and she can't find any of the other ones that goes with her, so she ends up being a nun. <laughs> It was hilarious. They had the cru- someone had the crucifix on her. That was that was brilliant. It was fantastic. <laughs> 
office. Someone else who's really naturally relatable is uh, Carbon, played by Brittany Young. Have to say, talking about Chris Jericho, Brittany Young has beaten Chris Jericho in the movie Trivia Showdown. Uh, so we should all be standing Brittany Young above Y2J at this point. Um, but we've got to love Carmen's story here, Scott, I think. Carmen, she's sort of been waiting all season. She's like, at the start, everyone sort of abandoned me. Everyone sort of takes her for granted. And it's not till her brother, uh, Carlito Caribbean Cool, shows up and sort of tells her that she should be doing more, that she starts to maybe discuss it and believe it. I think the biggest tragedy of this season is they put Carmen in the back burner and we know she would have got a soul story next season with all the stuff she was going to do. Are you sad to not be seeing that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really sad about that because I forgot about Carlito there and the fact that she's doing that scene where she's breathing, basically breathing his hair and all that. And he wants her to come on the road because like, she's one of the few that can actually wrestle. She's, like I said, she's making reference to wrestling. She grew up in wrestling and yeah. so she's also helping a lot of people out. And yeah, she did take a back seat because I think they were teasing like that she had a crush on Bash, and then she took a back seat when uh, he was now with Ronda, and then they then they bring that up and they're like, yeah, maybe I liked him at first, but now I'm just annoyed that he's my friend and he doesn't come by anymore. And it says like she's one of the few who didn't get a romantic storyline, and she addresses that as well, saying that you know everybody comes in here when they're roommates with somebody, but nobody thinks maybe Carmen's in there with somebody, and yeah. it was good to have that at the moment. But yeah, when, when just when her story was actually getting a bit more interesting. We didn't get to see what would happen next because I like to see the idea of like they because in the eighties it'd still be a bit ter- like the territories her and Carlito going up and down the road to different shows together. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would mean something else. And Stacey, I love that moment at the finale where she's just like you know the the master of Christmas. She's just like yeah, let's do Christmas Carol, let's do Christmas Carol, and she gets a big moment in that show where she gets to play Mark Calloway. Sorry, the Ghost of Christmas Future. Um, uh- so, so that, that was a good moment, you know. Carmen is the wrestling fan getting her to see this homage, clear homage to the Undertaker, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, and just going back to what, well, what I think I said in this in the season two review, uh, review, and if not, I was going to say it, but maybe just didn't say it. <laughs> is um, I I felt really sorry for Carmen. Like mm. I have felt so sorry for her through all of this. Um, her best friend going for the guy that she likes and then the fact that it turned out in season three they both just ditched her and um, didn't didn't speak didn't go and see her or anything until until they needed something from her and things like that and like Scott said when they said that uh, people were going to her room and uh, when their roommates brought a guy back. But then at one point, she, was the, she made the comment that she couldn't go and do something because she had a date. Yeah. But then nothing ever came from that again. And like, no one, you know, that way it wasn't brought up like a lot of other relationships and a lot of other dates had been like, yeah. and things like that. Um, I had high hopes for her, like, I've, I've had such high hopes and like for what was going to happen next and um, my solidarity with her and and from that my hatred of Rhonda um, still <laughs> Well hold that, hold that, hold that to the now Stacey, hold that to the now, we'll get to the hatred of Rhonda, Scott I, I'm glad that you brought up the Undertaker comparison I was thinking that the whole scene she did, I think she even does a setup at one point and yeah. the whole thing I'm like, like hey Tombstone, please have them hit her have Carmen yeah. and Tim it somehow <laughs> and then bring it home. I know it'll be a bit, you know, on the nose, running the joke into the ground, basically. But come on, 
Aye, she ends up doing a gory bomb at the end, doesn't she? Um, oh I think God. it's a gory bomb she hits at the end. But before we get into what I want to call the main event of this show, talking about some of the, the big hitters that we've got left, I'm going to play a wee game. It's called Yay or Nay. Yay or Nay. I'm going to talk about five of the of the new cast members that were brought up this season that joined the show. And I don't want any comments on them from any, any of you. I just want a yay or a nay. And we're going to start with Sandy Duvrault St. Clair, who owns the casino. Okay? She owns the casino. Kwaku, yay or nay? Yay. She's an odd character. That's it, Kwaku. Okay. Just a yay or a nay. Yay. Just a yay or a nay. Stacey? Nay. Scott? Yeah. Oh, two years to one name. Might come back with the Debbie stuff later on. Then we had Denise. Denise, who helped to train the showgirls and she was Cherry's pal. It was at the mud wrestling match. <laughs> Stacey, yeah or nay? Yeah. Scott? Yeah, she wasn't around that much, but yeah. Clacky? Yeah, nay. Neutral. Yous are breaking the rules here. Bobby <laughs> Bobby Barnes, Mr. Bobby Barnes, uh, the drag queen. Uh, Scott? Yeah. Quacker? Yeah. Stacey? Yeah times one million. Universal love for Mr. Bobby Barnes. Universal love there. We will get back to Bobby, I'm sure, later on. This is going to be an interesting one. Mr. Tex. Tex. Stacey? Nay. Scott? I don't feel qualified this song. Ellie, what what do you think? Ellie says nay. Ellie the dog says nay. <laughs> Quacku. Nope. Nay. Wow. No for text. Interesting. And the last one I've got here in my Even last Even his horses you. say nay. That's <laughs> a full that. Very good. Very, very good. Very good. The last one I've got for you is Paul the Jiggle. <laughs> <laughs> He's a jiggle spend a lot of dough. <laughs> Stacey. Say yay. Scott. Yes, I'll say yay. <laughs> Quacker. Escalation. Yay. All of them say yay to the man here. Paul. <laughs> That's from like Bruce Jiggle, American Jiggle too, uh, where they're in Europe and Norm Macdonald plays a Scottish Jiggle. If you haven't seen that scene, please go and look it up. It is utterly hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> He's like, I just want to be a man. <laughs> anyway, back to the wrestling. Uh, we have big storyline this season. Stacey, we have to come to you th- first for this. You are the authority on this storyline. You're the authority on these characters. You're the th- authority on this relationship. Tell us about Rhonda and Bash in season three. Right. Well, like I, <laughs> like I said earlier, um, I have watched season three twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I had very different feelings towards this relationship both times. Um, first time I watched it, they were a lot stronger against this relationship than that was the second touch. <laughs> I had very strong views. I was very much on Carmen's side, okay? Um, But uh, the first time it was very much like, um, I know that Bash, that Bash said that he married her for, um, just so that she could have her green card, but he was making out that he was in love with her and things like that. When really we all know that, um, that he was, 
he was doing it after the death of Florian. Yeah. And trying to hide who he was, just thinking, right, if I have a wife, then then I'll be fine. Um, no one will suspect anything. Well, why did it have to be Rhonda? Why couldn't it have been Carmen that he got married? <laughs> even, though he, even though he's lying to her for the yeah. reason. Why couldn't it have been Carmen? Why did it have to be Rhonda? I know, and, and you, you give very good reasons for sympathising with Bash there, Stacey. Um, it's just a shame, Kwaku, that Bash is a, Bash is a bit of a dick uh, at yeah. points <laughs> during season three, especially when we have that, we have the offer there uh, from Sandy to increase the time that Glow is going to spend in Vegas. And Debbie's like, I don't know. Sam's like, I don't know. And Bash is like, <laughs> Bash is like, the vice chair's here. I take charge. <laughs> you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority. What all? <laughs> well, see this whole relationship. Allow me to take a different take on it and analyze it as if a viewer has texted in late night with Quacker and Stacey and asked <laughs> us to analyze this relationship, right? So let, let's do that. Stacey, chip in as you're the co-host and everything. <laughs> I thought I'll get this in for the shameless plug. Please sponsor us as well. Anyway, so <laughs> the whole relationship started out from a lie, from one another trying to convince each other of something. And then as it's gone on and on and on, they become unstuck and then more and more layers are added on with more complications. So what was one little, well not one little, but what was one complication has now just become so many to the point where now you are trying to, in order to seduce your husband, you now hire somebody to make him jealous, to seduce him, and then even that goes wrong, and then you have another situation there right there. So mm. the whole thing was just wrong. However, good for TV. Stacey has her hand up before we get to Scott here. Stacey has so, uh, a lot of feelings, I can tell. What, what, Stacey, what are you thinking? I disagree totally with what Kwaku said. <laughs> <laughs> right, going into this wedding, Bash knew why Rhonda needed to get married. Bash knew that Rhonda needed to get married so that she could stay in the country. He, Rhonda's not lying to him about why they were getting married. Bash was on that was lying. Um, but he was lying to himself, which I think is the most upsetting part of this whole thing. Um, Even more powerful, however, lying to someone else. However, I do know of situ situations where people have done this and more complications do happen and people do get hurt, and which is what I was trying to say. Yeah, well, they do get hurt, but Rhonda wasn't lying going into this. She, she, needed, a she needed a marriage of convenience to begin with. So that she could stay in the country. Yes, and then it got complicated because she fell in love with him. But um, yeah, but going on how you're saying about how Bash wasn't the nicest after that, I think he, I think that he was kind of looking at the way that Sam had been before. You know that way, mm. Sam. He was always very much it's my way or the highway. Yeah. And I think Bash kind of thought, well, if we stay in Las Vegas, then. We can keep this. I can keep this lie going. I can keep this story going. You know that way. Uh, mm. I, can, I can keep who I'm playing going yeah. the same way. 
And then obviously near the end when it all started to unravel, um, yeah, Debbie was there to help him. So shockingly, <laughs> that's absolutely shockingly, and it's not like she wanted to be Scott. It's clear mummy and daddy are fighting here in the corner, mm-hmm. um, you know, over this. But we do have to talk. Rhonda does hire Paul the Jigolo. You could see that our fingertips were holding on to the cracks in their foundations uh, when it came to that one. <laughs> You could say that she said to Bash, I'd rather sleep with one of your friends, mate, because they're so much fitter. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get a nice Kate Nash reference in there. But Scott, what did you think of that whole scene? Because for me, I was kind of freaked out by it at first when Bash was like, you want to kiss her? <laughs> yeah, you want to kiss her? Like, what were your thoughts on that scene? Uh. Right, right, just think of it Stacey and Gregor going back and I was going to say, you do, we can just nip off. Yeah, let's get the key, come back. He's still going to be locked in this argument for a little while. Uh, I think with Bash, I remember I was, I got in there first because he was a character I wanted to talk about when we did season two because, well, he's much more likable in season two. And I think the best comparison <laughs> is like, Bash in season two is Shane McMahon in the 2000s when we all liked him. Uh, Bash in season three is best in the world, constantly on television, Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. Where people start to turn off. Uh, I like that. I know. Uh, Quacky, Quacky, we love you for your sometimes different views on wrestling. <laughs> that was very diplomatic. <laughs> you just wanted, you just wanted Bash to wander around, going, "He's he is the best producer in the world." <laughs> and, yeah, but you can definitely tell he is lying to himself about the reasons he was he was West. Uh, Rhonda, Rhonda though seems like adamant that she actually is in love with fashion she's gotten, fell in love with their time in Vegas is having and also them try to continue this thing going with like incorporating the wedding into the show every night and like even you had that scene with Bash's mum coming to Vegas because she convinced this woman's only there for the money and then she yeah. convinces her that you know that that she's actually she actually cares about Bash but I think the thing with Bash being such a dick is that he's gotten caught up in the lights and having his name pumped up on the marquee because he so wanted to like make a success and prove to his mum that a wrestling show could succeed and now he's in Vegas every night mm-hmm. and then he gets all this money from his mum uh, after she's, she learns what Ronda's intentions are and everything. Yeah. yeah, as for that scene, I've never felt more uncomfortable <laughs> sometime than that because you knew eventually it was going to come out somehow Bash's true feelings about and who mm-hmm. he really was but then that scene I think he, then he says later on with the Dewey confessed early, I thought it would be okay if she was there, but it's made it worse. I'm, I know I'm yeah. going to do it again. And he's like, okay, now he's going to be open to tell Ronda the truth, and there he is. But then he says, at the end, I want you to have a family. And they're keeping the lie going. And there's a true admission to her about her and everybody else other than Debbie, who he is. Aye, it's very clear that he's a gay man now. Uh, but Stacey, what did you think? No, I, I'm just going to put in one more thing. Uh, one of my funniest points of this whole show, of the this whole season, was the bit when Rhonda and Bobby came into the room, and uh, Rhonda was saying that she wanted singing lessons. <laughs> and I, th- I just thought that was hilarious. Like very, yeah. very, you know that way, just like real life. <laughs> yeah. Stuff, yeah. Which. Was kind of the turning point when Bash started not well stopped being his usual nice self and started 
it started being more strict, more where it's my way or the highway because Aye. he had Bobby had figured him out. Yeah, yeah, he was a dick uh, for quite a lot of the season. <laughs> Sorry, Bash, <laughs> but I hate to bash Bash, but he was a bit of a dick. Uh, someone who actually, you know, if, if Bash became, you know, the strongest link in the last round to the weakest link in this, uh, the opposite was true of Debbie. I found myself for the first time throughout this show's run actually getting behind Debbie Egan and actually liking Debbie Egan. And uh, Scott, I think it was. Mo- Firstly, to do with the fact that the story about her having to leave her son to commute and all that, it was very relatable and made it gave her character, you know, reminded us that she is truly a good person who wants to do well for herself, but also her family, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, she's like one, it's been the hardest on her, I think, staying in Vegas the whole the, the long time that they are, and then that's why she's so at odds with Bash about trying to extend the mm. their time in Vegas because she doesn't want to leave her son for so long because as soon as she leaves he's up and he's walking and everything and uh, and also she's having issues with her own like appearance because things like the more or better I stay like this like this the more work I'm going to get more money I can make and yeah he said goes back to what Cherry said about her, her body changing after having a kid and that like where she has that really nice moment with Ruth in the restaurant you have some tea and then she sees the video of her son and goes and makes herself sick yeah really hard to watch and then also they kind of play for last the idea she's constantly going sleeping with all these guys in the hotel and like and like see, she has a chair Joy goes in and like I can't I slept with two of the dealers the valet this guy and the, oh crap I left a juggler in my room that was my favourite moment of the season I love that so much like no you'll, you'll leave when he gets hungry <laughs> I love that so much but I loved how it wasn't like they didn't slut shame Debbie like that to me wasn't a part of her downfall, you know, it wasn't like, oh, Debbie's spiralling out of control like how much sex she's having. It was like, look at the Don Debbie Egan is having sex with all these yeah, younger guys. Like, absolutely. Living, living her best life. She's just like, doesn't. It's when the camera is so perfect when she goes, she's like checking up on Cherry, like, how are you, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, do I come in? And it's like, um, and then the camera just turned and she's like, let yourself in, you know, I'll be up and I'll be with <laughs> It was so good. It was amazing. And Kwaku, another funny funny moments were galore when she brings, you know, she ends up bringing the baby to Vegas and the baby escapes down the elevator <laughs> down into the onto the uh, the casino floor. What did you think of, of Debbie's baby arc? And she brings, she's trying to make it work as a mum in Vegas. Yeah. What did you think of that? Like working outside the hotel room is the only place where she could work and Obviously, I mean, it's a big hotel, baby. She she misses the baby's first steps, which you can tell really eats at her. And um, when she's on the phone call and um, hearing that the baby is there walking, and then you actually see now the baby not only can walk but can actually run away. <laughs> and I mean, the baby must be some form of Cupid, a really good wingman, because it was a baby running away that ran her, uh, ran Debbie into her future date. Yes, indeed, and good transition there, Stacey. You gave a, you gave a nay to Tex, you know, and we, we Tex showed up with Debbie throughout the season. First on the plane, you know, for a commuting flight uh, to go and visit um, said baby, uh, whose name I'm forgetting. I'm just going to refer to her as the baby, you know, because it's much easier. Um, but Randy, yes, Randy, that's that's the one. That's the one, and then. We also had him back, in, like as Quacker said, in the casino floor in the beginning of the relationship there. What did you think of the Tex-Debbie relationship then in more depth? Well, I I was 
happy for her like at the beginning like I liked their relationships to begin mm. with and um, like he he was like showering her with gifts and things like yeah. that but he was like making her feel good about herself as well and um like for the first time like in the whole series like series is one two and three it was mm. good to see her happy like in all aspects of her life mm-hmm. but then um after it was when they were talking in the room and uh, debbie gave him her her opinion and he was just like oh if you're uh, i like my, my girlfriend or my future wife if that's the way that this is going mm-hmm. uh, i don't want them to like be worrying about this and it could have been seen as like a flyaway comment, but it could have been seen as well like if you carry on this way, then you will not be my future wife. Mm, yeah, and it's that's what I liked about the show because Tex like was portrayed for the most part as actually quite accepting. Like we get the part where he finds out that Debbie's producing Bobby's fundraiser. Yeah. And she doesn't say to him because, like, I'm not sure if you'd approve. And he says the story about, you know, his, his nephew uh, yeah. who died, or we're led to believe, died of AIDS. Um, you know, and we get that emotional moment. But I, I do think it speaks to, we've talked about this show in the time periods it's based, it speaks to the sexism of the time. It speaks to the sort of traditional views of the time, mm. you know. But also just shows, Kwaku, I think, that Debbie and Tex were never going to be fully compatible because Debbie Egan, for better or for worse, as we've seen, is a woman who's going to do whatever the fuck she wants, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, my first thought when they kind of start to talk about dates, I just thought, wow, you're punching, son. But <laughs> after that, <laughs> my other thoughts were, I, I don't want to do the stereotype, but however, the stereotype did play out in the mm. fact that Tex is a very old school ranch guy that is very much the guy, guys doing all the work and all the ladies, they just sit at this, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, I get what you mean. Yeah, exactly. But it was quite a bit refreshing when we saw Debbie and with his workmates like talking and stuff like that. However, the chauvinistic side of him did come out with that scene yeah. that Stacey was highlighting, and that's why I got the day from him. Uh, mm. I gave him the day on that front, plus it kind of rhymed with what a horse is. So <laughs> I like to think it was kind of funny, but well, here we go. The actor replaced text I like though, Toby Hussey was in, if anyone's seen the new Halloween reboot that came out in uh, 2018. Uh, he's the dad in that and he's hilarious I, I find him really funny uh, in that he dies obviously because it's a hot fucking slasher movie and he's not the main character so <laughs> you know Stacey the rules of the genre you know dictate that that was always going to happen uh, so don't blame don't blame me blame slasher films but uh, we do get Scott this this bit at the the end of the season in the last episode it plays out Debbie's like <laughs> This guy thinks I can't do business. I'm going to steal his deal. <laughs> and then it's revealed that Bash is going to buy a television network. It's going to appoint Debbie as the president of the television network. And we get this moment, Scott, and it brings us back full circle to the relationship that started this show between Debbie and Ruth. And Debbie offers Ruth the opportunity to come and direct the new wrestling show on that television network. And Ruth refuses. 
Were you Team Debbie at that point? Or were you Team Roof? Choose your side. Uh, talking about text, I think with the motivation, obviously him saying the things he said to Debbie, which were motivation to this very Vince McMahon-esque uh, business deal of sneaking in underneath him and taking him out with all this uh, money. And I think mm. even when they're discussing the terms of the deal, there's a Ted Turner reference in there somewhere. Nice, nice. Nope. <laughs> Would you forget that Ted Turner was an actual business guy before he got involved with wrestling and stuff like that? But the thing, the reason I give Tex a day is more so his portrayal because he goes from the show makes him this guy who can give Debbie all this stuff and he's actually quite nice and you know, he, he, he thought we were a better, better son with her. And I like the bit in the restaurant, he goes, You know, my name's not actually Tex, right? <laughs> she just keeps calling him that. And then, and then uh, an episode a bit later, he's suddenly coming out with this stuff and like it just felt like so out of nowhere and it mm. feels like TV shows do that a lot when they need uh, a character brought in for a small run then you get rid of the character they all, you know, change the character's views like so drastically or yeah. one thing about them so drastically just so mm. the characters that are worth them have an excuse to not see them anymore it's a valid criticism I think of the show yeah, too like, I think they needed that I mean be a dick all of a sudden just to justify Debbie uh, taking this deal uh, mm. away from him the way she did yeah. and I th- I think I'm kind of Team Ruth more so than that because mainly you know, over the course of the show there's only until this season I was actually a fan there because season uh, one and two Debbie can fuck right off. Aye, she was insufferable. She oh, was yeah. insufferable. I mean, no. Ruth, well, it wasn't Ruth's strongest season either for a reason I'm sure we're talking about in a bit. But like, I think Ruth is. We've discovered that Ruth, Alison Brie, good actress. Ruth is not. She's <laughs> in the role of Zoya, but she, I think it's becoming clear why she wasn't getting other work. And yeah. then she goes for that movie that Justine's doing, and she's kind of upset that she doesn't get it. And like she's feeling bad with her because Sheila's doing better than her as well. And so I think the idea for her directing is her admitting that she's kind of given up on her hopes of being an actress to then do behind the scenes stuff. Because then Debbie, her immediate reaction is to say, like, why are you being so ungrateful almost? Yeah. Because she had the moment to start with, they say, look, our name's up in like, we're in a show in Vegas up in the marquee. But then she's like, yeah, but you've already had that success before me because like when they get lost in the, the desert, she's like, you know, the headline would be soap opera actress and mysterious woman found in the desert. I do have to say, I don't think it wasn't from a malicious place with Debbie because she ran through the bloody airport to get Ruth, you know, she really wanted to share that experience with her. And I think that's a shame. But it's also a good place to leave Debbie off here now, you know? Like, if there's a character who did get a full sort of story arc, it's Debbie Egan. Because mm. now she has everything that she wanted. She has that power for herself. She is the woman in charge, setting trends, setting goals, you know? And I, I, if there's any character I'm happy with, you know, not seeing where they go from here, I'm happy it's Debbie. Because for me, Debbie earned her stripes this season, earned my respect, my likability as a fan of the character. And, you know, good for Debbie. You know, it's a round of applause for Debbie, everyone. Well, well done, Debbie. Well, well done. Right. It's now time for our main event. We are going to cover this, these characters in this storyline as the winner. So strap yourselves in, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It is, of course, the tale as old as time. The love story between Ruth and Mr. Sam Sylvia. That's right, Mr. Sam Sylvia and Ruth. We're going to get into this. Kwaku, we first see this bubbling over, basically in the season with the hot tub episode. Mm -hmm. And they spend the day together. 
they're spending the day the way we've seen them before they're quips you know they they love each other but they argue with each other they drive each other crazy you know mm. these tag team partners how can they get along you know um, that's all it was <laughs> and they're in the hot tub and Sam basically says he has feelings for her and Ruth's with Russell and she's saying this and that and then she says and you're basically twice my age and we can tell that Sam does not react well to that does not react well to that at all just going back to that initial argument in the hot tub what did you think when we're setting up this drama for the season between the two of them at that point she likes men with mustaches <laughs> it's, beyond, it's beyond doubt yep 100% true that was my full <laughs> analytical analysis on the situation <laughs> no, obviously I mean you, you could tell that something was there was going to be more twists and turns to it and mm. they always like you always knew that from previous seasons is that Sam always was riding on um, on Roof the most like he would ride on everyone but would really yeah. ride on Roof always a sign of affection because it's that kind of thing of like when you fancy someone you don't want them to know to throw them off the scent you'd be an absolute C-U-N-T <laughs> That's that's sometimes what some people do in this situation. So it was obvious from season two that that was always going to burn the hot tub. Kind of took the turn on it when Sam admitted it. And then you could tell Ruth had that kind of thing of, I'm with Russell kind of thing. Um, This came from Wetfield, the situation, however you do. She gets out the hot tub, you know, she assesses her situation with Russell at the moment, sees sees what's going on, maybe. A little bit of bubbly will take over, and then she'll be after Sam soon. Watch this thing, <laughs> and it did happen. Yeah, a nice prediction from Quacky with a benefit of hindsight, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but we we get this, and Stacey, she's, she's wrestling with these feelings, uh, pardon the pun, you know, try to work <laughs> out how she feels, and then she has the conversation with sort of Debbie in the desert and she's like right okay I'm going to do it I'm going to do it she runs back to find that Sam's checked out the hotel room he's gone no longer there what did you feel at that moment? Well I know I keep going back to the season 2 review but um, in the season 2 review I remember saying that I was very much rooting for Sam and Ruth to get together after the dance scene Um, this time it was just like it was such a shame like it took so long for Ruth to finally admit her feelings for him. Yeah. And, and she was just a split second too late. But why didn't she phone him? I mean, I know mm. that she's Midwestern and she's taught to respect people's privacy and <laughs> but pick up a telephone woman, honestly. Yeah. But then but then as well she tells him and then she just leaves him and it's just like oh, Ruth what are you doing like what yeah. are you doing? I know I know and it's, it's such a shame but flash forward Scott you know Sam's not just you know he's not just ran and went to the middle of nowhere he's taking his, his daughter Justine hey Justine's back you know a, a friend of the show Justine um, Justine's wrote a script and Sam really thinks it's good so he's He's taking it about town to try and get it sold and eventually, you know, she gets the script sold and she tells Sam after he has a heart attack uh, <laughs> that she wants him to direct it. And that's a, that was a really high point in the season. I thought a really good episode there between father and daughter and really sort of solidified where Sam's direction was going to go after starting the season with relatively little to do. 
him like overseeing the show. He's having a go at the people for like the production guys are being basically shit at their job. You see, he's written a, sh- a, a, a script that he has uh, Sheila read over with him. Basically, from the hints you get about a character who he doesn't know it's his daughter. Uh, also, it's about him and Justine, but then he realised that Justine is like way more talented than he is, so he gets behind. Or he mm. even tells her as much that so you've got way more talent than I'll ever have. And uh, but, like, it was just so frustrating. He didn't fully admit to Ruth or her that he had the heart attack. Because he has the heart attack, he just tells her you just go, like, celebrate on your own. And then mm. while he tells somebody to phone him and then comes the next morning, doesn't tell her where he was. And then he does the whole adoption thing, just like, just so you. No man, it's again, you know, when I finally like pass away, which might be sooner than we think. So, which isn't mm. a full admission, and it is even I don't think he even tells Ruth about the, the heart attack, and which no. is so frustrating about Sam. Sorry, Scott, but see on that, right? If you tell someone you love them, and then one of the first things they say is you're twice my age, are you really going to tell them you just had a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> so that not happened before the heart attack, though. <laughs> I don't, but it's set, sort of set up this. I think, like you're saying, that sort of, um, what's it called? Insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, when Sam about his age, you know, insecurity. Stacey? It just shows the difference between Ruth and Debbie, though, because for Ruth, is Sam being almost double her age wasn't a, was a big problem. But for Debbie, and Tex, like Tex, like Debbie was eight years older than Tex's oldest kid. Yeah. She was only eight years older than him, but she didn't find a problem with it. So that just shows a total chain, like difference in opinion between De- Debbie. Debbie rides the spectrum. You know, she was she was okay. sleeping with men much younger than her, and she's dating men much older than her. And that's just that's the Debbie Egan we all know and love. You know, that's <laughs> that's the Debbie Egan we all know and love. But we're getting here, Scott. We get to that. There was a lovely. Uh, sequence at the start of the eighth episode where it was his 50th show in Vegas and we see the, the, the time-lapse uh, footage uh, and eventually we reach the 200th show. Were you just wanting to give, you share the opinion of me that you just wanted to give Ruth a shake at this point, kind of, because we've seen how she was with Russell. It's very clear that relationship with Russell is not going to work out with the argument they had early in the season about the camera and her obsession with Sam. And then he's like, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Seville. Uh, and she sort of just says nothing. Were you just a bit frustrated with her at this point? I was just thinking, like, Jesus, woman, well, how long does it take to take off that makeup? The sun is taking you to take your makeup off another hundred or so shows that went by. Jesus, <laughs> time is ticking in Vegas here. Yeah. <laughs> it was I love some it. Very ca- clever camera work on that one, though. I did like it. It was good. It was good. There was one of those ones I was watching the effects. I'm like, how did they do it? Uh, how how, how, how did they get notes? that done? Uh, no, because I couldn't work out. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> you just gave up. <laughs> yeah, but Scott, Fair were point. you frustrated with Ruth's attitude towards a relationship with Russell? Yeah, because obviously, again, the, the long distance thing, he only comes across every uh, so often, Bill, so he thinks that she's going to be done soon. And he, he's trying to make long term plans for when she's done in Vegas, and then she's just going to blowing mm. him off because she doesn't really know how she, she feels or doesn't want to commit to anything. And then, like, I part of me really wanted to hate the idea of Sam and Ruth being together because, again, how they were against each other at season one and only time they get together later on. It's such a trope of television yeah. and films and all that. I kind of wanted to not like it. But then again, they're so good together. The actors are really good, like, together with their chemistry and that. So I kind of liked it. But then yeah. again, like, when she leaves, she goes home. Again, there's no real resolution because she leaves 
and storms off on Sam kind of petting her way because like he makes sure to tell like you didn't get the part mm-hmm. in the film when I look at the bigger because I don't want you to think that's what this is kind of about and then she just kind of like goes mental on him and like that and then we don't really get them resolved I agree. I actually, what coming to you, Stacey, on this one, because this was the next big thing, obviously. Justine's movie's up and running, Sam's going to direct it, and he's insistent, let's bring Ruth in for an addition. Ruth will be great for this part. And Justine's like, do you know, do you really believe Ruth is a woman with a past? You know, <laughs> like, do you really, this rough and tumble girl? And I actually, I, I agree with Scott. I was annoyed at Ruth in this moment because not only is she ditched Sheila, you know, and, and not showing up for her their performance. Not, there was no resolution with that. Sheila did not confront with that at all after that. that we Sheila, seen, Sheila was not angry, angry enough. Either. Aye, she was not angry enough. But also what Scott's saying there, she was very immature, petty in her attitude towards Sam telling her that news, I thought. Like, would you agree or do you have a different take on that? Oh, I totally agree. I totally mm. agree. I think that she thought that she was guaranteed it because she knows how Sam feels about her mm. and then the fact that he didn't get what she wanted then was just like well this can't work but you know that way like not not in so many words well she didn't say any any words to him like yeah. stop talking to him um but then it goes that goes as well to um to the offer that Debbie gave as well it's just like mm. Look, you can be a, you can be the director and things like that. Yeah. And so just like, um, if you're going to be an actress, you would have made it by now. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that she couldn't act in Glow because yeah. Sam was acting in Glow. So you know that way. It's just like, but because it's not Ruth's way, then it's the highway. Even though yeah. giving her the opportunity to be set up for life. Yeah. And yeah, she's a very. I think she's becoming more and more immature as she's mm. on. And there is um, Quacky. Obviously, she ends the season playing, you know, Scrooge, uh, Zoya Scrooge, whatever version of Scrooge that is. Really good for Ruth. Gets the opportunity center stage there. She I like how it's an American holiday when it's <laughs> even Russia's a Christ, um, predominantly Christian country and does it yeah. like Christmas. Exactly, you know. <laughs> but then she ends the season with that Debbie thing. We don't know if she's going to go off to Sam or not. I think Ruth, it was alluded to, didn't exactly shower herself with glory this season, did she? No. Um, it's amazing how things flip because you know from season two, I really didn't like Debbie. The fact, yeah. despite the fact that she got cheated on and stuff, I really did not like Debbie. No, it, yeah. it's just the constant comments and bringing it up and stuff. It's like, yeah, either move on or just stop. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. In a way, but yeah, Ruth didn't really cover herself in glory. I think this was the season where she had like her confusions and the fact that. She doesn't mm. realise the opportunities that she has in front of her. She's still chasing that itch, that dream. And yes, in a way, you can't you can't exactly blame her for that because in real life, like in me personally, I have had that conflict um, yeah. where I've chosen one path because I have a big passion for it where mm. another way may be a better opportunity for me or whatever, but yeah. it's just the way it is. And I'm sure there'll be people around that have a passion within the arts and stuff that 
they they always want to chase that dream that they've always had despite the fact that another bigger opportunity is presented in front of them because yeah, it's, it's hard it's to tough. shake that itch off it's tough yeah poignant Kwaku poignant I say um, <laughs> before we wrap this up guys we're going to get into final thoughts in a minute I want you to try and think of what was your funniest moment of the season what was your funniest moment of the season your favourite funny thing that happened this season I think I'm going to go with mine first and it was uh, just anything the, the biddies did yeah. at any time the biddies were on screen doing the react and they do like that hey <laughs> like that at the end I just thought they were gold they have been since season one throughout the run of this show those two characters uh, will always hold a, a place near and dear to my heart uh, Scott did you have a funny moment you wanted to bring up I think just the whole thing of them switching characters because Tammy's like back is so bad she wants to play a biddy kind of cover it up even then she can't hide it for long mm. and her coming down how seamlessly she actually fit into playing the biddy and then also how weirdly <laughs> Much, how much better uh, Debbie was as Zoya, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Like, the given how much she's basically the baddie for the first two scenes. But like, I think I like the idea of her and Ruth switching over because like, we've done this so many times that us switching like, roles will know the other one's stuff already, so mm. they wouldn't like look any different. Yeah, I love that, I love that. Stacey, what about you? Well, I've got two. Um, I've already mentioned one. Um, it was the... Um, Rhonda getting singing lessons one. Yeah, like that. Uh, so that one and uh, the other one was uh, Melrose's first encounter with Paul and uh, the confusion. Yes. Confusion there. That was so funny. That was bro, and you could tell where that was going was the funny thing. Yeah. Even before Melrose could, and that that was the best bit. Like thinking, what's her reaction going to be here? I love it. I love it so much. Quacky, what about you? Uh, apart from the switching characters and stuff, I know it came from a story of a serious nature. However, Bash putting his foot in it when he's trying to get an in inverted commas the maintenance man sat fired from the casino, and they're like, "He's not a maintenance man. He's a juggler." It's just that <laughs> face off. Oh yeah, oh. yeah, that was good. <laughs> I like that. So, runner-up award has to go to um, uh, Cherry and Debbie getting high in the hotel room as we brought up as well. That was just a great scene. That, like Scott mentioned, like, her listing off the men that she slept with. And I was just like, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. We, but, but you know, times change, and so must we. All good things come to an end, and unfortunately, that is the case with Glow. Um, Netflix has cancelled the show basically Fucking I understand boo. I understand why they've did it it was the case that with Covid they couldn't film a show that depended on you know so much wrestling so much up in contracts like don't and like fucking cancel it <laughs> and they basically said look the way it was going to work we wouldn't be able to air the fourth season till 2022 and um, which would be a three-year gap between seasons we agree with it or not I understand you know their reasoning for it. Um, however, would I love to see a four seasons ago to wrap the story up? You bet I would, because these actors, these ladies, this show has been an absolute breath of fresh air throughout its run. So what I would like to give each of you the opportunity to do is to pay your respects to Glow, to say goodbye to Glow, uh, and to sum up why you loved watching Glow and coming on this podcast and reviewing it the last three years we've done that and uh, Quacky I'll start with you for your goodbye to Glow Netflix right now 
you're being absolute bees. I'm not going <laughs> to say the word. However, right now, I feel like you are kidnapping our hopes and dreams. <laughs> and we all know what you should do. Don't kidnap. Shame <laughs> on your Netflix. Shame on you. Fair enough. Stacey, your goodbye to go. There's so many unanswered questions. I mean, like... Everything that we brought up, things that could have happened in the next season. But then following on from the live, from like the wrestling show from season two, mm. what happened when Olga's foot operation, when it was actually Zoya and who I'm guessing is her other sister uh, doing the operation, what happened? Yeah. It said it was <laughs> continued and yeah. it's not being continued. And <laughs> yeah. We need to know what's happening. We need to know. We and need to know. What travel is in Russia as well. <laughs> Scott, you're goodbye to go. I do I agree, like it's sad that we're not gonna get I know Mark Man came out and said that he was like rather they did like a tour movie wrap it up, which a season four was actually maybe the last season, they know where it's going, they could have easily have done. I mean, we were meant to get Taya Valkyrie as a cameo in season four. Like she sent a tweet out of herself on set in the cool gear and everything. Oh. Like the idea of like the the actual wrestlers from outside they could have gotten in to help fill out this new like TV show. It wasn't just kind of to the main characters, but yeah. I think it's been a long time since actual wrestling with tape was portrayed in the mainstream uh, show as well as this. You know, I mean the yeah. one thing you got to this is like the film the wrestler, but that's depressing as hell. <laughs> This had some sad moments as we talked a lot about, you know, we talked about the always the topic of discrimination. But we had that genuine human characters, people we invested in throughout this. We had that genuinely fun moments and shows we actually really enjoyed talking about. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the things that you can appeal to fans and non-wrestling fans alike. And it's just such a shame they didn't get the opportunity to see it through to the end. Yeah, I think it's one of those shows where it's so human. And it, it's a half an hour comedy show at the end of the day and we get our laughs at but like you said there, like we get these moments, you know, we get this serious issue and it never it never simplifies anything, you know, it allows itself to be a fun comedy while still presenting everything in a very balanced, very real way, you know, and, and, and inside this larger than life world of wrestling that it portrays, particularly this season in, in Vegas, no less, you know, it could have easily jumped the shark and it never did, you know, it never did and the performances across the board from these ladies was impeccable, you know. I think we'll always have the memories of, of what they did and we'll look forward to seeing where they pop up uh, when their careers progress from here on in. We'll see look back fondly, raise a glass and say thanks for the good times, you know, uh, and that's what I'll say to, to my panel here today. Um, Kwaku, thank you for, for coming on today, talking about Glow and saying a fun farewell to a show we've loved. It's been a pleasure, never a chore. Yeah, Stacey, that was, it was, it was emotional, but you know, you'll need to find new ways to channel your hate for, for Rhonda now. I'll, I'll, I'll try and find a way. Yeah, for having me on the show. <laughs> and Scott, it's it's unfortunately time to say goodbye, but hopefully see some of these actresses down the road and something else. To go off Quackers logic, you know, your most heart is somebody you're secretly in love with. That must mean that David Campbell is in love with the majority of the listeners' league on Saturday Night <laughs> Live. He loves you all deeply. He just can't admit it. 
and for another <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> not yeah, true. Not true. Most definitely not true. Fuck the listeners' league. But anyway, thank you very much for listening to our wonderful show on Glow. Thank you for joining us on this amazing, awesome ride across reviewing all three seasons here at ESSR. It's one of the things I've had the most fun doing. Uh, I'm sure my panel feel the same, but um, go and check out the rest of the shows in the main feed. Uh, go and check out Central when it drops this Thursday. Uh, go and check out Saturday Draft Live when it comes out Saturday. Everything on your YouTube channel, all the extra content we, we have for you is absolutely fantastic. And guys, until then, I'll say goodbye from me and from my panel. Hi. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our fantasy draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. Sports Social Podcast Network.